We're going to be in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 24. Before we get there, uh, I was thinking about uh, when I was a kid, how much I loved to build forts. Anybody a fort builder in here? Yeah? Uh, I would build forts in the house out of blankets and furniture. You guys have ever done that? You know? Yeah? I used to build forts out in the woods with uh, branches and logs and just about anything I could find. You know, I'd sometimes even steal stuff out of, you know, the garage and stuff like that that probably shouldn't have been used to build forts, but I would take it and, you know, create this, these awesome forts. And my friends or siblings and I would build what we thought were traps, right, to help protect our forts. Like, I, mean, I don't think any of them would ever have worked. Um, but uh, it was cool and fun uh, to to build these forts, uh, but they weren't very strong. I mean, literally, like, you know, right, when you're building a fort in the house with blankets and stuff like that, like, you make one wrong move and the whole thing, like, falls down. You're like, oh, man, right? And then you got to get up and, like, and fix it. And you're yelling at your siblings because, you know, somebody, you know, stood up when they shouldn't have or things like that, right? Same thing with the outside forts. You know, they're not usually real strong, especially if you're not using nails and things like that to put them together. But... Forts or fortresses are supposed to be strong, right? That's what they're for. They are supposed to be used to protect and, uh, and to keep out enemies, like forts that were built to protect settlements of areas, or they were often built with stones and really big stones. And when we were in uh, the UK a few years ago, we saw lots of fortress castles. You know, palaces are nice, big, huge, large homes. Castles are fortresses. And we saw a lot of fortresses, these castles that were built on a hill using big, giant stones with high walls to keep the enemies out. They were really impressive. And one of the most impressive that we saw was the castle in Edinburgh, sitting high on Castle Hill with these large cliffs that go down hundreds of feet and the castle built right on the edge of the cliffs with the walls going up. And if you looked at it from down below at the bottom of those cliffs, you thought, wow, that is a fortress. This morning, Jesus is in the temple, and some people marvel at how impressive the temple is, how big the stones were that were used to build the temple. And instead of agreeing with the people and saying how important the temple was, he says that it will be destroyed. This great building, this huge building with huge stones that look like could never be destroyed, will be destroyed, and not just the temple, but the entire city of Jerusalem, the city that had giant walls that would protect it. And with the temple on Temple Mount, the city with its walls looked like a fortress. And yet Jesus says that it will be destroyed. The stones will not be left on top of one another. What did it mean for the people then, and what does it mean for us? Let's read Luke 21, verses 5 through 24. And while they were speaking of the temple, 
how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, that's Jesus, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate before how to answer, for I will give you, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict." You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let those who are out in the country, not, and let not those out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive, moving captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray as we come to it this morning that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you'd be, help us to not only be transformed by your word, but be conformed to it in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in our series in the Gospel of Luke called Certainty in Christ. Uh, Luke wrote his gospel so that we might have certainty that Jesus is Lord, Savior of mankind. And last week, Pastor Alex preached from Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through 21, verse 4. And we saw that because Jesus is Lord of all, we must worship Him. We must worship Him with our lives, and we must worship Him with our money. And this morning, we pick up right where we left off last week. Jesus is still teaching in the temple. The crowds are still coming to hear him teach, and Jesus uses a comment by the people in the crowd, possibly the disciples, we aren't 100% sure, uh, to, prof to prophesy about what is to come. And many have misunderstood Jesus' prophecy, believing that all that Jesus prophesies in this passage Part, what we're looking at today and then next week, um, 
pertains to the second coming, to the end of the age. But Jesus clearly has two separate events in view. And we're going to look at the first this week. The first is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And so we must ask ourselves, do we understand the significance of Jesus' prophecy? You might say, well, if Jesus' prophecy is about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that's already happened. And besides, showing that Jesus spoke the truth and His Word is trustworthy, what significance is that for us today? It's already happened in the past. What do we need to see the significance of that prophecy for? Before we get to the answer of that question, let's look at the significance for those who first heard Jesus speak these words and and will come and see the significance for us. So for us to understand Jesus' words, we have to understand that the temple was understood as the location of the presence of the Lord, right? In the mind of the Jewish believer, the temple was the place that heaven and earth literally met, right? It's the place where God and His people would meet together. So for Jesus to say that this temple that they are in, this, that people are marveling at would be destroyed, It would have had, in a sense, that things as they knew it were coming to an end. It would almost be as if the world were ending. The people want to know when these things will happen and what the sign will be. And instead of a sign, Jesus gives them signs. And while they were more obsessed with the stone temple and the signs, Jesus points to what is important for them to be prepared for the end so that they are not misled. To be prepared for the end so they are not misled. Do not be misled by false prophets who come in my name. Do not journey after them, says Jesus. Do not follow them because they are false Christs. They will lead to your destruction, just like the temple will be destroyed. We too must be careful that we are not led astray, just as those in Jesus' time were warned to not be led astray by those who come as false prophets. We'll see that next week even more closely, that as Jesus comes, will be coming again, the call of the church is to be prepared, to be ready, to not... go after false prophets who come in His name. And so Jesus' signs of what to look for are threefold. He says, first, there'll be disturbances among nations and between kingdoms, include wars and revolutions. There'll be natural disasters, that's second, as such as earthquakes and famines and plagues, and these phenomena will occur on the earth. The Old Testament is full of references to earthquakes as a signal of divine intervention or the judgment of the Lord. And famine regularly is a part of Israel's salvation history. And finally, the heavens will be filled with terrifying events and signs. And all this is Jesus is pointing to as what to look for as the signs leading up to the destruction of the temple. And yet, 
as we wait until next week, as we think about an earthquake in Turkey and Syria, as we think about war in Ukraine, as we think about revolutions, Jesus is reminding us that these things will happen until He comes again. They are signs that His kingdom is not yet fully come. They are signs that the world is not yet the way it is supposed to be, and we are to be ready, watchful, prepared for what is to come. And it will seem as if the end of the world is near when the temple is destroyed, for it will be a sign of the judgment of God on Israel for rejecting the Messiah. God's final judgment on all who reject Christ. The end of the temple means that the end of time of God's presence and salvation are not tied any longer to a specific location in which the people gather for worship with sacrifices and the priests determined by a family line. The temple, Judea, ethnic Israel become obsolete, so to speak, as Jerusalem and the temple fall in devastation. Jesus says these things will happen, but before they happen, there will be betrayal and persecution by the Jews and the Gentile authorities. They'll be dragged before synagogues and thrown into jail. All these things that Jesus predicts are things that He Himself will endure in these final days that we will be studying as we head to Easter. All that Jesus experienced, He says, you, my people, my followers, will experience the same things in my name. And Luke is showing us that Jesus' prophetic voice is is showing us what will indeed happen in the book of Acts as the church grows and spreads. That they were dragged before synagogues, that they were imprisoned by the Roman authorities, that they were persecuted because they proclaimed the name of Jesus. You will even be betrayed by family and friends in my name, Jesus says. Christians will experience persecution for no other reason than their connection with Jesus. And just as Jesus' death is a testimony to the world that a new creation was breaking forth, and the end times had arrived in Him, so persecution will happen to His witnesses as a testimony of Jesus. This witness, Jesus says, might even result in the martyrdom of some. But Jesus comforts His disciples then and comforts us now because in the name of Christ, we will experience persecution, maybe not to the extent as we read in 
Scripture. But Jesus says persecution will come. And He says, yet not a hair from your head will perish. Jesus has just spoken of possible death, of great persecution, ways in which he himself was treated, his followers might will even be treated, that even though there is suffering and even physical death, not a hair will fall from your head because you are eternally mine. You are with me alive forever. Jesus not only gives those then, but us now the same promise. If you follow me, no matter what happens in this life, as bad as it can get, as much persecution as you might receive, if you are mine, not a hair will fall from your head. You, life, your life will be forever mine. Jesus goes on to give a final warning to those in his day, a final warning to avoid Jerusalem, right? The, they're standing in the temple on the Temple Mount, within a walled city of walls that seem impenetrable. And the reason that you had a fortress city in that day and in the days past is because if you were attacked, you go as quickly and directly to the fortress for protection. But Jesus warns them, get out. Run. When you see the armies begin to surround Jerusalem, get out. Do not, if you are in, leave. If you are in the country, go. Do not come into the city because the city is the place of devastation. The city is the object of God's wrath, and so it is the worst place to be. And the historical events confirmed this. It was awful to have been in Jerusalem in those days. Great destruction and suffering fell on all those who did not heed the words of Jesus. And so Jesus calls us, as he was warning them to heed his words, to listen to him, to not rest upon our own understanding, but to listen to the very words of Christ, the very words that give life. To come to him, to run to him, 
You see, the temple doesn't need to be rebuilt for the end to come. Some believe that the temple must be rebuilt because Jesus is speaking of the end times and the temple must be rebuilt so that the glory of God can come in, but the temple has been destroyed. And why was it destroyed? It was destroyed as an act of judgment. It was destroyed to show that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the final sacrifice needed. It was destroyed so that the sacrificial system would come to an end because all those sacrifices that continued in the temple were false. They did not bring forgiveness of sin. They did not bring restoration between God and man. Only the sacrifice of Jesus has done that. And the sacrifice has been made fully and finally in Jesus. And the name of Jesus defines their and our identity. And Jesus is saying that as his name defines our identity, that for Christians, we bear in our bodies Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we bear in our bodies the new temple, right? That is why the old temple could be destroyed because now it is in Jesus. And for that reason, Paul says that we as Christians are living stones being built into a holy house, the new temple in Jesus Christ. These stones have figured prominently in Jesus' previous sayings about Jerusalem, right? The stones would cry out when Jesus enters Jerusalem if his disciples would not. The enemies of Jerusalem will not leave one stone upon another because she did not know the time of her visitation that Jesus talked about back in chapter 19. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected and has become the chief cornerstone, the headstone of this new temple, of the people of God who are living stones being built into a holy place. We are those living stones, brothers and sisters, that Paul says that through the true and living stone that is Jesus, we are being built. We are being built into a new and more glorious temple, surely more glorious than the temple that Herod finished in the second temple, because it wasn't as great as the first temple of Solomon. But we are being built into this temple. Holy living stones. We are the temple in the world to glorify God, and we are where God dwells with his people and is present in this world. In us, the church... (laughs) By the work of the Holy Spirit, we are literally where heaven and earth meet. Just as it once did in one place, in one time, in Jerusalem. 
And that is our main point because the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and he in us. The church is the dwelling place of God on earth. Right? God brought destruction to the temple. Yes, to end sacrifice. Yes, to uh, vindicate Jesus in his death and resurrection and to show that he was the ultimate sacrifice. But the destruction of the temple is also because the temple is no longer needed because the living God dwells with his people, the church. And we as his people is literally where heaven and earth meets as his church goes and proclaims the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ in word and deed, the heaven and earth meet. That is how Jesus can pray and to teach us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is where we meet together. And through the work of the indwelling spirit, Jesus is with us living stones which are being built up as a spiritual house, a house of God much more glorious, as I said, and full of splendor than the temple. The temple was God's dwelling place on earth where he'd meet with his people. He meets with us, gathers us, and builds us as the master builder, as the church, living stones going into the world the Lord God dwells with us and in his presence is seen and known. And as his presence is seen and known in us and through us, the church, his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that your son Jesus Your son Jesus has raised up living stones and is building us into a glorious temple, one that cannot be destroyed, one that will never fail, will never come to an end. And Lord, we pray as these living stones being built into the spiritual house, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, Lord, we pray that we would indeed, as your people, be the place where heaven and earth meets, where the presence of God is known. Lord, may our work and our words be yours for your glory for our good and for the good of our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond by standing and singing, blessed be your name.
lunch. Those of you who are able to, please help uh, prepare by setting up tables and chairs. As we have worshipped our God together, let us go and worship in all that we say and do as living stones, being built into a spiritual house where the presence of God is known in all that we say and do. As we've received the love of Christ, May we love one another as he has loved us. And we've been served by the Spirit. Let us go and serve him by serving all those he brings into our path each and every day. Now, receive the benediction of our God. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Go in God's grace and peace.
check, check. Hello. There we go. Hello. All right. I think we're ready. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray and thank the Lord for the food. And uh, I've heard we're all, we're all ready to go. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this day uh, of worship, uh, this day of fellowship. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be together as your people. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless our time together. Lord, bless this food to our use. Lord, we thank you for all those who prepared it. And Lord, we uh, pray you'd bless them as they have blessed us. Uh, Lord, uh, may we have a sweet time of fellowship this day. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. <laughs> 